We who are about to die salute you. Front recruits, it is episode 17 of Moratory Mondays. We are firmly in the second half of the run of the uh, classic and undervalued Strike Force Moratory run from Marvel Comics. Chris and Chris here to break down the 17th issue with a cover date of April 1988. But first, we got a finale. Something will end today. It's not Strike Force Moratory, but something is going to end today. And, uh, you want to jump right into that? It certainly is, Chris. So just for some context, if you're just joining, if this is your first episode, we've actually had some of our listeners join up as recruits. And we've tailored a little storyline that we add to the beginning of every episode. And uh, we follow their antics and hijinks through the world of Moratory. <laughs> now, our team uh, is left off, and this is the grand finale. So we're going to jump right in. So. As we left our recruits, the standoff in the garden is at a standstill, and the Moratory looked on the verge of a major victory over the Horde. Now, as the Hordian army has fallen all around them, the newly revived Hordian commander known as Thunderfist has brought the war to a grinding halt. Literally in his hands, he has a detonator, and he stands on top of his literally his fallen comrades' bodies, holding this thing threateningly to our heroes now our heroes pause they look at each other almost like in toy story toy story 3 when they're going into the fire and they know that something bad is about to happen they're afraid to make a move Lockshot actually takes advantage and he fires a random psionic eye shot blast which is actually intercepted by fake herald who is redirects it right into the garden's laser targeting system it literally disarms the grid of security weapons which is unfortunate for our heroes now splinter red who struggles to get to his feet stands behind Harold, grabbing him by the back of the head, sticking the cannon at the base of his skull, and he finishes off phony Hordian, <laughs> the phony Hordian imposter by blasting his skull into fragments. Now, his lifeless body flops to the floor. Now, his cloaking mechanism that was making him appear as Harold finally goes away, and we get to see the tentacle-filled, disgusting body of a mutated super Hordian, one of these people that we've seen in, you know, some of the issues in the past here. Mm-hmm. Now he turns his attention to the commander. Force field jumps in place. He shields red to protect him, but also stops his ability to fire on the commander. So he can't blast through the shield, but he just protects his friends. The moratory are backed into a corner as the hoarding commander uh, holds a detonator high and clicks the button. The men mm -hmm. turn away from the Hordian commander, closing their eyes. Just at least they don't have to witness, you know, the end of their last few minutes of life. Yet nothing happens. Lockshot turns towards his enemy who is standing with his eyes wide. All of a sudden, his hand is empty where the detonator once resided. Materializing behind him is Flash Forward, one of our recruits who appeared to have died earlier. He grins with a sneer. He, said, he says to his friends, what did you expect you all to let me die? I'm a time traveler. Do the math, people. Well, mm -hmm. stop wasting time and take this bad boy down. Dreamscape opens up a final portal door. 
and Lockshot levels the massive Hordean with a searing blast, driving him back towards the portal. As Dreamscape shuts it close, uh, shuts it quick, um, taking the villain completely out of the scene. Now they've actually defeated the Hordean commander. Suddenly, a buzzer goes off. The lights in the room come up, and the PA announcement says, "Your virtual session has ended." Here at Moratory Studios, we hope you have enjoyed the experience. All of a sudden, we pan back, and the viewers see the room is merely an empty room and not a garden at all. There are no Hordian corpses. There are no Moratory. Merely five men in virtual reality headsets and sensory suits. As the men take off their headsets, among they start talking among themselves. The door slides open, and a man with a clipboard enters. Thanks for attending the Moratory Simulator, gentlemen. Please place your headsets in the bin to your left. The man who's seemingly in charge of the show listens with a grin as the men chatter amongst themselves. And they're saying, oh, this was much better than the last time. They added a whole bunch more garden effects. Another one says, next time I got dids on the splinter headset, that med character sucks. I can't believe (laughs) that real people signed up. This had, they had to be stupid to do this. Another one says, ah, give me a break, Randy. This is my hundredth time. It's getting pretty old. The moratory are dead as an attraction. Let's go to some dinner. I'm dying for a beer after all that. And the man running the show, you know, he watches as uh, as the four men slide out, and they're sliding out of their goggles and suits. And one man is still rec- still removing his suit, and he starts to make small talk with the man who's waiting patiently um, for the show to end. And the patron actually says, "You look like that med guy from the game, just a little bit older. Anyone tell you that, buddy? That guy's still alive. I know they found a cure and all, and they all disappeared." Seriously, but who signs up for a job just to die in a year? Man, there's no way that stuff was real. Just some social media hokum. I say, you know, pretty funny, huh? The old man tur- the old man's smile turns into a look of disappointment. Almost sadness, really. He says, yeah, I've been told that a time or two I look like med, but let me be, ke- let me be clear, young man. The characters in this game were actually real people, and those situations that you went through were all very real happenings. Those folks that you play in the games, they gave life to this planet so the planet could remain intact. So folks like you and your buddies can enjoy these little freedoms like your games. Have with some respect, huh? Now, if you don't mind, sir, we close at 9. I would like to make it home for supper on time this evening. The customer actually looks a little bit upset. Settle down, old man. You wouldn't know if you fought the war by yourself. Why don't you tell your boss to get someone who has, you know, customer service skills? No tip for you, you crooked bastard. The man with the clipboard just takes a deep breath, pushing his gangly gray hair out of his weathered face. He clips on a name badge that he was holding off wearing due to due to some self-consciousness issues. He clips it to his shirt. The name badge actually says Med. He sighs, looking at pictures on the wall as he waits for the man to leave. Of all the three generations of moratory who lost their lives with the process. And then his own fifth generation of moratory. A class of actual survivors, at least physically anyways. He smiles when he sees the photos of his friends. First is Lockshot, who went on with his life outside of the moratory process. After they found a cure, he went on to become a farmer and live off the land with his wife of 40 years. He had visited Lockshot and his family pretty faithfully the first years after the moratory uh, project ended, up to 10 years, and discover after the discovery of the cure in a dumpster not so many long ago. He remembers how happy they were first when they had kids. He had twins to be exact, two kids of which they were named, uh, he got named the godparent of. He had named them Robert and Jaylene. They'd become religious and they had deep faith that they were happy and had a zest for life. He wished he stayed more in touch with Lockshot, 
but he knew the last reminders of, you know, his time as moratory was best as Lockshot suffered from PTSD, which had crippled him for a while until he met his wife, Eileen. He was very happy for his friend, almost envious he had that peace. He smiles as he sees Flash Forward's pitcher, whose time-traveling abilities actually had years made him a player on the stock market when he left the moratory process. Him and his family had become wealthy with cash before he died of cancer, not long after the process. Um, and it somehow seems a little bit better than dying to some government death sentence. You know, who would have known that investing in the cruise industry and household cleaners would have just been the thing to get people quintillions in Pidea credits? Who would have known? <laughs> he would have given he would have given a he was given a lifelong pass for the flash cruise lines, but he never, ever availed of it. The group had always felt guilt ridden for what they had done, left his friend to die, despite not being force field and understanding that flash forwards powers were his ability to flash forward several minutes and alter the past. He had given himself a warning that he was about to die and actually prevented his own death. Hence his name Flash Forward, I guess. And he had the solace that his friend did not die that particular day. Then he walks past Forcefield's picture. Well, he was the one guy who made being moratorial living. He never left the PIDSC. He still works doing something with the government, despite his old age, which he is proud of, you know. Most of his work... He doesn't talk about these days. He's more of a ceremonial figure, an ambassador of sorts, really. Uh, the government had all but buried the moratory program and went out of their way to dial back on the public face of the battle with the aliens. It's almost like they didn't want to make it seem like it ever happened. Five years after, uh, five years after they burned the memories of those who had lived during that time, he still talks about Force Field on their class anniversary every year. It's almost like an obligation, but he still appreciates the video call every single year. He even received a slab copy of The Last Stand of the Red Watch comic that details their own class's adventure, which he got home as a gift. He doesn't look at it, but he's still proud it exists. He walks by a picture of Dreamscape, who after the moratory experiment, decided to build a virtual reality business, which actually pays Med's bills to this very day. Red actually went back to Russia, and he hadn't heard much from him since the last time they had a, they had a Strike Force moratory convention about 15 years ago. He is sad that he is sad that the public cares so much about the real people who actually sacrificed their lives. He wished his retirement was actually different and still enjoys the moment when someone recognizes him. As he looks around his plan to watch the next group of virtual reality simulator customers in the morning, he's glad that the day is finally over. He doesn't have to worry about tomorrow. He begins to feel a little bit tired, especially after all day, and decides to sit down at his desk. His tiredness begins to turn into burning and aching of his joints. He actually drops his clipboard. His hands actually begin to glow. This time, he actually smiles. He takes one last look at his friends in the photos, and he rubs his hands together. And he almost seems like he's washing his hands, successfully stopping the glow. Even years after, after the cure was found, he still gets flares, but they are more or less a reminder now to him. After two minutes, he is fine again. He gets up from his chair, walks towards the exit, of the mock virtual lab, which is full of Hordian props and animatronics designed for the experience, including the looming Thunderfist animatronic. He marvels at how accurate it actually is. He smiles to it and repeats the same line that he does every evening before close. See you on the battlefield again tomorrow, old boy. And grins as the machine, deathly still and cold, just looks on. Just the way he likes it. He walks to the door, initiates the alarm, takes one more look around, Turns the lights off. The end.
Very, very nice. Very nice. Thank you. Almost, thank you. Almost brought a tear to my eye. That was uh, a <laughs> very touch. That was more touching than I was I was expecting. And uh, and I made sure not to peek at it. So uh, this was all fresh to me. Very, very go, good. Brother. Good. Very, very good. I love it. Um, I, I I hope the fans, uh, the listeners, don't mind uh, you know the swerve, but uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it uh, actually no, happened. That's it all thing. actually happened. So that's it all uh, actually happened. So it's not a virtual reality uh, thing where they're, uh, you know, you wake up and Bobby Ewing is in the shower. We don't get this. <laughs> no, no. Very, very good. Very good stuff. Love it. Love it. Um, but we do have, a, you know, the other story to get into today. And that is Strike Force Moratorium number 17. Oh, We're right. still in 1988. This is April 1988 cover date. The story is called Dot, Dot, Dot Breeds Monsters. Written by Peter B. Gillis with art by Scott Williams. Hell yes, hmm. man. This guy did a great job in this oh, issue. We'll talk a little bit about more as we go through. Absolutely. I was gonna I was gonna heighten the suspense a little bit. Uh, he, oh, we sorry. saw him last. <laughs> what I meant to say was I wonder how Scott wonder. Williams makes out on this hmm. issue. <laughs> <laughs> we last saw him as I believe uh, Will Spertasio's inker. Um, but now he gets the the whole you know the whole shebang of the uh, of the design job here, and uh, yes he he does a very very good job. Um, letters Phil Felix, colors Max Shield, edits Carl Potts, chief Tom DeFalco. Cover- <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I got to do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> cover price one dollar US, one two five can, and forty p's in the UK. Uh, on sale date, December 1, 1987. Now we have a solicitation, and it uh, really doesn't spoil anything, so we probably don't have to worry about saving it to the end here. It reads, is the government betraying the moratory heroes they created? Strikeforce Moratory discovers that the truth behind the government's stonewalling, stonewalling is even more devastating. Not only is the government secretly creating a new moratory base, they plan to populate it with a new generation of moratory warriors. Trouble is, this new moratory-making process, quote, breeds monsters. Mm, boy, do it, uh, boy, does it ever in this issue. Can't wait. Absolutely. Yes, we uh, we met one of those monsters uh, last issue. Uh, at the very, very end, uh, sent that bolt of lightning, you know, that made it seem like, uh, what's his face, Deguchi yes. uh, fried the Super Hordians. So we will, uh, we're actually going to get the nitty gritty on all of them here, all of the monsters. There will be more. Um, now, the cover, I, I think this is one that we don't agree on. I don't like it very much. Uh, I don't care for it. Uh, it's basically the team stood before a glowing door, and in the doorway are some. Sort of globby-looking monsters. Yeah, you know what? It looks like a. Uh, it reminds me of like a VHS movie cover from back in the eighties. You know, when you always had the glowing door. You know, what is behind the door was always like a a huge selling point, especially in horror at the time. Sure. Uh, one of the things to note on this cover, and I I usually inspect the covers in pretty good pretty good detail, and of note is the cover box. The cover. Oh, the, the corner. Literally yeah. the corner box. Yeah. So up in the corner. You get to see Pilar, she's flying, and you get to see the floating heads of, you know, some of the cast around her, okay? Which is which is pretty normal, until you see that Louie's head is still there despite having died two issues ago. <laughs> like, seriously, bro, who edits this? <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that it's still there, don't get me wrong. I, I, I've got affinity for my uh, my version of Moratory, so. For now, sure. what I like about the cover is that the Moratory are actually drawn pretty well, you know what they I mean? Are. Like, this, like they, I they are, this is Protasio, too. 
Oh, really? Well, he did. A, he passed you a cover. Yeah. Yeah, he did a good job on this, actually. And oh, it's no, cute. no, it is Scott Williams. I'm sorry. Yes, okay. it is Scott Williams. Yes. I was going to say, like, Bravo looks really good. You got to see Deguchi. He looks pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I will point out, and I <laughs> and I love this, and especially in old comic book ads, I always loved when things were miscolored. You know what yes. I mean? Like, especially old Star Wars action figure ads. You know, you'd have Han Solo, and all of a sudden he's got a blue vest on and half mm. blonde hair. And you know what I mean? It was just <laughs> crazy stuff that was going on. But anyway, we get to see Sheer here who's front and center, and he's actually got nice light brown hair, not yeah. a not a flicker of black hair. His white streak is completely gone. Like, did they run out of black or something? Or <laughs> is this is this from, like, I, I tried to justify it. I said, okay, maybe it's the light shining from the door and it's just brightened him and his clothing or whatever the case might be, but I think I was giving him too much credit, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, the, the no prizes in the mail because this is, they, they just messed it up. <laughs> yeah, they, they screwed it up. They don't even have a clue that that was even sheer. I would imagine. But anyway, <laughs> the bottom of the page seems to have a words and it's in this white text box and it says the next generation. It's got this really, really stupid exclamation point. Now, Giant expl- exclamation yes. point. And yeah. I mean, as you saw from the last couple issues, they've been definitely someone definitely had a Macintosh computer and they were toying around <laughs> with font. There was no doubt. Now they didn't use the the gradient filter this time, which I was which I was happy that they didn't use yes. last time. But uh, you know the cover itself is okay. But the next generation tagline, which is um, which is interesting at the time because this actually came out in what 1987, you say December 1st. Yes. Well, guess what was just hit the airwaves at this time. Hmm. I wonder. Star Trek <laughs> The Next Generation had just debuted in September 28th, 1987, so okay. the, the words The Next Generation was all the buzz at this time. Hmm. I, I thought maybe Degrassi The Next Generation started. Oh, well, that too. I guess not. No, <laughs> no that was far, far later. Yeah, that was, that was that was like closer to the 90s, bro, I think. But that was like 2002 or something, yeah. Oh, The Next Generation? No, yeah. I was thinking New Generation. Okay, yeah, yeah, I know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, where, where Snake and uh, what's, her, what's his face, uh, Spike are you know, getting married or whatever. And <laughs> all that silly stuff there. Uh, we Man. finally got to see Joey and Caitlin together for five minutes where they weren't fighting. It was good well, times. We so got to do a Degrassi podcast. But anyway, I, I digress. Yes, we do. Moratory, <laughs> we do. moratory. Stay focused. <laughs> <clears throat> moratory time. Okay, yes. Now, as mentioned, last issue uh, – some stuff went down with a monster and a lightning bolt, and we pick up right after that. We're still in the same ghost town, where it appears as though Will Deguchi was able to wipe out all of the Super Hordians by his lonesome. And a part about this that I love is that uh, the rest of the team is like, like instead of being celebratory that that you know they think Will took out the team the the baddies here, they figure like, uh oh, he just flared up. He just had a power surge, which means the process is probably catching up to him. Yep, exactly. Which I love that as a reaction because it's it goes totally against the nor the ordinary knee jerk reaction. It's like great success actually means something different to the moratory recruits. It's like, uh oh, <laughs> he did yeah, too no good. No, oh yeah, no good point. You think yeah, as soon as someone like flares up and gets mega powered, you're like, uh oh, here comes yep. the end of days for you, brother. Exactly. Uh, now, Deguchi assures them that this wasn't his power at all. He doesn't know how it happened. He's not sure of any of this, but uh, he thinks it probably would behoove them to find out exactly what actually went down. 
Exactly. So uh, he, I think Deguchi is a little bit unlike someone like Radian, who would take full advantage of this particular thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just took down those horde myself. Thank you for asking. <laughs> He's like blowing on his fingernails like, yep, yep got this one. <laughs> I took them out. Thank you. Uh, anyway, I like to focus on Deguchi here, actually. Yeah. And, and we've done our share of trash and the douche, I guarantee you, in this uh, in these episodes. But uh, they finally focused on him almost in a leadership role. And we're the voice of reason here, which is interesting to say the least i'm glad he actually took the time to explain the events of last issue because you know it's say i remember saying that it was a little odd that the issue ended during the course of battle from a scream that happened from miles away in a laboratory you know what i mean i thought it was a bit of a cop-out yeah, but sure. when they when they use it to say that you know they thought it was Deguchi who actually did it i thought that was a pretty cool out on that you know, it came from, a lab, you know, the moratory lab where they were building moratory recruits in a in a secret laboratory. And one of these moratory monsters, which we'll get to meet a little bit later, actually sent that bolt of shock out and mentally fried the Hordian. So, you know, you got the old douche uh, was about to take credit for it, but he owned up to it really, really quick. So it's kind of cool. But it's it also one thing that it does. And I always like to pick on plot threads. Mm-hmm. And especially this one. So many issues ago, they had conversations where, you know, moratory process leader, you know, Dr. Tulima uh, was told by head up of the moratory officials that he was to stop everything, all his research and everything, shut it down and build a full army of adepts, which are basically analyzer moratories who can, you know, read Hordian tech, who can analyze power, strengths. Uh, you know, everything or everything around them. So they were they were basically going to build an army of analyzers. It seems that they've gone another direction because if they're building people with mental abilities similar to Will Gucci, then there's something else. They're not just building analyzers. They're definitely working on some different powers here, whether it works or not. For sure, for sure. Yeah, it's very... Uh... It feels like it's getting darker every single time here where <laughs> they're yeah, getting... No doubt. Yeah, the, the, Padilla, the Padilla are getting, like, more and more depraved and uh, and, like hungry for these very very specified powers it's it's very interesting stuff um which you know Deguchi has picked up on because he feels like the Padilla have been maybe a little too sketchy for a little too long and yep. uh maybe it's time for them to go find out what's going on at that plastic pipe plant that uh <laughs> wink, that wink. nearby yes uh hard case you know he we you know we learned last time that he was a West Point cadet he's uh not really all that keen on going against orders. And he makes sure that the team knows that. He's like, hey, you know, I don't feel comfortable going against orders. Uh, this might not be the best course of action. Uh, you know, Scaredy Cat, Pilar, steps up and uh, backs up Will Deguchi's notion. He, she's like, she's like, no, Will's right. We need to we need to figure out what's going on here before we, before we make another move. And then Brava, <laughs> the jackass Brava, go, she, she's like, settle down, little one, to, to Scaredy Ooh. Cat. It's like... Come on, you're brand, You've been a moratory for 20 minutes. <laughs> it's like it's it's like telling your significant other to calm down. That stuff never works. Settle down, yeah. <laughs> yeah settle down. That never that never works. But I tell you what, I like the I like the tension between the two generations, like the yes. second and third gen here. I think the difference between the last two generations, when Generation One started, and Generation Two came in, there was like an uneasy vibe. The two, you know, there was a cautious relationship. Yeah. However. The difference here is that Generation 2 and Generation 3 are almost combative and almost disrespectful to each other, which we yeah. didn't get to see with the first two generations. So, you know, it's it's like the the third, ver, you know, the third incarnation of the Moratory are more or less, you know, we're, we're better, bigger, better, badder creations, and we don't have to listen to, you know, the, the past recruits. So when we see Brava disrespecting Pilar here, 
And then you see Sheer, who shows outright outright disrespect, out disrespect, I should say, to the other Generation Two. You know, you got a you got a bit of a melting pot going on here, man. For some sure. fireworks and I mean, in, in amongst the, the the brass. Yeah, and I mean, and Sheer killed Louis. <laughs> Shared his heart. Yep, literally. <laughs> I Ouch. mean, yeah. The the uh, the second generation to the first generation was like an awe and respect and uh, and almost a fear. If you remember when we when they first met each other on that uh, on that like aircraft carrier, uh, they were scared to come over and even introduce themselves. They're just like, oh, those yep. are the heroes, and we're just we're just nothing. We're new characters here. So they were. Boy, yeah, Gen Gen three don't certainly feel that way though. Do not. They they they. they Gen 3 came in, kicked in the door, tipped over the furniture, and <laughs> is making this their own. It's uh, it's pretty interesting, um, the uh, the dichotomy between the uh, generations here. Now, uh, Brava, you know, after telling uh, Scaredy Cat to settle down, turns to backhand, and they start laughing. Uh, not about Scaredy Cat, but about how they thought this was going to be so much more glamorous to be a moratory warrior. And they find out that it's uh, it's even worse than real life because of all the politics involved. Yes, it's like, and we just talked about this, you know, Generation 2 were curiosity seekers. They were into, yeah. like, the media's propaganda. Generation 3, however, they're, they're on to the whole con, you know, mm-hmm. which, which begs, it, begs the question, if they know all about this and they know what the media has been doing and twisting and, you know, uh, turning things, why did they sign up in the beginning? Let's be quite honest. It's true, yeah. If, if, the, if the fix in it is in and the spin is, you know, known among them, then... There's really no intrinsic reason why they would ever you know, sacrifice their lives for this. It's uh, right, yeah, it, you know, if you, you, you fool one generation of people into signing up for this big experiment, but when you see things go bad and it's out in the media, you know, by the time Generation Three rolls around, these people are on to the con, man. So mm, fool them three times, the joke's on them or something. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, now realizing that they're just as at odds with their superiors in the Padilla as they are with the actual horde. The group ultimately does come around to the idea that maybe we should check into this pipe plant, you know. Um, as they run off, uh, the moratory appear to be subtly infected with, like, these odd, tiny little spores yep. that have sprung from the, the, the corpses of the super horde that, uh, that were shocked at the end of last ep- last issue. And this is a detail that I actually missed uh, the first time I read this. Uh, you asked me about what I thought about the spores and I was like, what spores? I didn't even notice it. That's how subtle this is. Yeah. So, so I read digitally mostly on this stuff. So every single panel is usually enhanced. You know what I mean? So I get to see the raw panel. So if I'm flipping through just a comic book page, this is some of the stuff that I would miss, but I'm getting to see these things, you know, literally lit up on their boots and sticking to their legs and different things like that. And I'm like, what are these spore things? And I love the explanation that you gave because, Hmm. because, you know, I thought it was just going to be a throwaway plot point that they were going to get to or not get to, but you said they could be trackers of sorts, which makes all, all the sense in the world when you think about it. We haven't even seen this in past issues. I mean, it's seen seems like the hordes, you know, they continue to mutate in their abilities, but, uh, you know, they're experimenting on themselves now, which is, you know, even a more interesting spin. So it seems like they're having a little bit more luck than Earth scientists, though, because they're actually making stuff work here. Yeah, and, and they're out in the open about it. <laughs> they're yep, not they hiding are, things yes. in, no. in, in fake factories. Uh. <laughs> here, you, here you, gentle inquirer, get in this machine. We're going to try this out again. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Yes. <laughs> Take my backhand. Um, now, uh, we shift scenes to the moratory super train. Where, yes! Uh, <laughs> do you ever hear of the uh, the old TV show, Super Train? 
No, I haven't. Sounds good, though. It was, uh, I guess it was like a show that almost bankrupted NBC uh, oh. back in like the late 70s, early 80s, I want to say. It was sort of like a train version of The Love Boat. Oh. And uh, yeah, the entire show would take place on this super train and like stars would show up. It was it was very similar to Love Boat, but it was on a train. And uh, oh. and I guess <laughs> I guess they wanted to like profit off of the whatever sort of notoriety Love Boat had, and uh, I think it only ran a handful of episodes because they couldn't afford to keep making it. Oh, you might call it a train wreck. <laughs> oh, a super train wreck. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, hey, listen, if... man. So, I, so I've been thinking about this, and I love the whole idea of um, of the super train. But anyway, Commander Yuri's doing something. What's he up to? Oh, he's uh, he's watching some news reports about everything that has unfolded since the team, you know, headed west to the ghost town. So he's basically getting caught up. And like the whole time he's sitting there, he's like, oh, man, my phone's about to ring. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a lot of time on my hands. And one thing that I was thinking about is what a strike force moratory toy line would have actually looked like back in 1988. Mm. Just imagine. Imagine sitting back. You're a kid. You're in the 80s. You're right at the heights of toy buying chaos. And you open up the Sears wish book, and inside you see a full page dedicated to Strike Force Moratory and how cool this would be. Just oh, imagine, yeah. just imagine making like the Moratory Super Train set. I would be all over that, man. Yes. Like, what pieces would you think would make an essential Moratory toy line? Like, is there anything that comes off your off the top of your head? I've, I've included a few things here in the notes, but is there anything that you would you would personally put in here? Um, you know, let's go through yours here because I, I wanted to be surprised by your suggestion, okay. so I, right. <laughs> I don't want to repeat anything that you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so as a GI Joe fan, I'm a I'm a huge vehicle person, okay? So mm. these guys got to have a super cool vehicle. So yes. I wanted to start with the Moratory Striker hypersonic jet. Now this thing would have jet sounds, it would have launching missiles, and of course, it always got to come with a wicked figure. So it comes with like a variant Robert Pilot type oh. of action figure. Right. And you know what this has to come with? It has to come with one of those like spring loaded things, like a like a little thing you can like almost like a like a trebuchet or a catapult. Yes. So yes. You could, put, you could put Harold on the catapult, hold it down and then have him launch himself toward toward the jet like they do in the cut. They all have to jump into the, into, the, into the jet. <laughs> <laughs> they got to do the leap. That's perfect. Yes. <laughs> all figures should have spring loaded legs with leaping ability. <laughs> At least Gen 1, anyway. Yes. Uh, the other thing I thought of was like a moratory lab. Now, th- this is more kiddish. So if you're if you're dumbing it down for uh, for kids of a certain age, this I wanted to do the low stuff. Yes, yeah. I wanted to do the moratory labs Play-Doh set where you can actually make new moratory recruits in like those little mold things. What do you think of that? Love it. Love it. Yes. Now, for the action <laughs> figures, you cannot go without having like action play sets. So yes. if you're doing generation one, which would be the first line, I would always think of like the Hordian chocolate factory attack play set. <laughs> now this thing would come with like a Hordian soldier, the whole exploding wall thing that you put back together every time it's spring loaded when like a bomb goes off or something. So I was thinking oh, about that. Yeah. Of course. And there's got to be, there's actually got to be some, we got to have a bunch of doors that you can open that just just open to like a sticker of the horde that you put in there because the horde are hiding behind every single door. Perfect. I hope someone's (laughs) listening to this. We got to make this. 
And then you got to do the Hordian Battlecruiser playset. So this got to be like the the big bad guy playset, okay? Comes with a Hordian commander and, of course, a special good guy figure. So it comes with another Robert figure in a, in a silver battle armor. Okay. Uh, so, you know, like a bigger one. But it also has a special process glow ability. So he actually dies, too. <laughs> oh, so you put him, you, you like, you hold him up to the light bulb. Yep. And, and then charges. you turn the light out and and he glows. Yes, it's perfect. <laughs> and of course, if you buy all those things, then you can mail away with two proofs of purchase to get the Beth Neon mail away figure. <laughs> oh boy, like the Emperor in a, from Star Wars. Yes. Uh, and she can come with like a pack of seeds that you could uh, you could plant in your garden. <laughs> I love it. Now the action figure, which is the the actual base of this entire thing, because I'm an action figure guy, sure. and I was doing some uh, some dumpster diving in my basement here today, and I uncovered some great stuff. I found a whole <laughs> jacked up box of vintage figures that I was that I intend to fully sift through, and I actually post some of that stuff on Twitter a little bit later. But mm-hmm. uh, man, did I find some stuff in there! I found some GI <laughs> Joe, some Star Wars, Ghostbusters. Uh, my God, what else? Uh, X-Men figures, mm-hmm. uh, you name it. There was a ton of stuff that I found in there and tons of stuff to share. So anyway, what a Strike Force Moratory toy line would look like. The action figures, of course, would start with Harold, which includes mm-hmm. like a kicking action. That's what okay. I thought of. But his accessory is also <laughs> the last stand of the Black Watch comic book. <laughs> <laughs> what was, uh, oh boy, those, um, you know, those dolls that like the girls would have where like, like their hair would grow. And like you, yeah. in order to like make their hair grow, you'd like put the arm up and down, and it would like almost crank <laughs> the hair out of their head. Yes. We do that for Harold for that weird little front thing he had going on. Oh yes. Where it just where you crank the arm and like the hair just comes out the front of his head. The so front braid. That, that would be yes, perfect for sure. <laughs> that would be excellent. Then you move on. We have Radian. Now he's got glowing lights on his hands, and of course a video com device so he can talk to the horde and reveal their secrets. <laughs> <laughs> we, you put you pull the lever on his back and he drops to his knees because he he's he's always just giving up. He's just <laughs> always he's submitting all the time. <laughs> then you got Snapdragon. Now her her whole powers is she shoots plasma blasts, so she has little projectiles that fit in her wrist. So she has a little wrist device, little things you press. You press a button on her hand and it shoots plasma blasts. Perfect. That's Perfect. Snapdragon. Uh, Blackthorn has magnetic hands and has power. And as soon as she attaches to something, you hear the molecular bond melting sound. Like very cool. Which Love is it. Kind of cool. You get adept. Her Does eyes. Does she come glow. with a baby? Does she come with like a, a baby belly? Oh, that is perfect. We got to do it <laughs> with complete with baby accessory. <laughs> Bastard child. No I'm kidding. <laughs> You get uh, you get a depth. Now her eyes glow when she touches things, so she analyzes. So you get the analyzation sound, and she mm-hmm. also comes with her favorite accessory, the Bible. Yes, she needs <laughs> nothing. It. Nothing wrong with that. Now you may have to alter it because you know you don't want people getting sensitive in the market and dropping these figures. So it could be That's her true. religious reference guide. We'll call it. Maybe yeah, it's just a spiritual uh, pamphlet, yeah, a spiritual yeah. guidebook. Perfect, yeah. I love it. And <laughs> then you get Marathon. Of course, he has. Punching action, similar mm-hmm. to a uh, superpowers figure. So you press, die press his legs like that. Uh, so you showed me uh, when we we're on Twitter today. You found a Wolverine figure, and you die yes. press his legs, and he sort of flexes like Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. It's really <laughs> weird. I was thinking for Marathon, you have him like the uh, the first line of X Men toys had that Colossus that that his he was useless. He would he had his hands <laughs> held down like with his hands facing up. And you gave him like a giant weight, and he basically did curls. That was his I, whole thing. I, he lifted. Do, I do actually own Colossus. So in another oh, box, too, yeah. 
somewhere. Yeah. I have collect. Yeah, he does. He's got those open hands, and I guess it was for that big uh, barbell thing you had. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's all he did. So we could do that for Robert. And uh, I think like to let the kids do a little bit of cosplay, we put like a giant M face <laughs> tattoo that they can like lick on and stick on over their face. <laughs> let it sit there for like five <laughs> minutes, pull it off, and they are Robert. That is perfect. <laughs> and of course. Of course, you already got the commander because he came he came only with the Hordian battlecruiser. So you also got to have a couple of different henchmen. So you got two Hordian foot soldiers with different weapon accessories and laser blasting accessories. So they're different. And, of course, they'll be repainted and changed around and called something else about seven or eight different times. So those two Hordian figures will be repainted and resold as, as different hordes. So there you go. That's my version. And I hope somebody's listening who creates toys because that would make an amazing Strike Force Moratory generation one mm-hmm. place it. there you go oh, for sure i love, love it, it. Oh, that is love that it. is awesome stuff here it it reminds me of like the only scene from v that i remember which is the kids playing with the v toys <laughs> oh i love that <laughs> i love that i remember seeing that on screen and going oh my god i gotta find these toys and yes. of course they never appeared they in didn't exist. in uh north america that, anyway that's right they came out uh what was it Germany. brazil germany okay I think it was, I think it might be, now don't quote me, but it was definitely overseas mm-hmm. and they had, but they weren't fully articulated. So I think okay. they could, they could move their arms, but there was definitely extreme limits to the figures. I don't know if they were similar to a Star Wars figure where you could just mm-hmm. move the, move the legs and move the Up arms only. Yeah. yeah, I think that might be it. But anyway, I digress. Interesting. I think Interesting. that's a bit of fun. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, that, that would be. That would be really fun to see uh, a Strike Force Moratory uh, action figure set. If only anybody was like clear on who had the rights to it. <laughs> Every time they try <laughs> to make something about it, people are arguing who owns it. But uh, whatever the case, back to the story. We are on board the Super Train with Yuri. And uh, as we mentioned, he's afraid he's going to get a phone call and he is not mistaken. Uh, he assures the Padilla bigwigs that he hasn't told the Moratory anything, uh, but he warns that... Uh, those those uh those recruits they're neither robot nor soldier so uh it's kind of to say that they they, they are human with curiosities that are likely going to get the better of them uh, <laughs> and you know they're not going to just fall in line and he prays even though he's not a praying man that dr tulima doesn't get wind of any of what's about to happen we haven't seen tulima in a little while was he in the past couple issues I think we just saw a video call from him. Oh yes, right. Uh, yes, a recording you are. Right. of a video call. So we haven't seen uh, we haven't seen him in a while. But what we did hear was that uh, the Generation Two uh, cadets uh, actually still keep some sort of regular contact with him. We just haven't been privy to it. Uh, from here, we jump into space and uh, we jump into the Hordian Expeditionary Fleet. And that's where we see our main man, Thundercrush, where he has assembled the VIPs of the organization to watch the defeat of Strikeforce Moratori. And uh, you might imagine after the results of last issue, he's been left with quite a bit of egg on his face because yes, sir. his super Hordians were crushed. And uh, we learn here that those uh, testicles that doth hang from the <laughs> Hordian shins might actually be grosser than actual testicles. They are uh, actually throat sacks. Ah, mm-hmm. man. But just the word sex, there's just something filthy about that word. I don't know it's, what yeah. it is. It's, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's that one feature about the horde that is just absolutely disturbing. I mean, mm. you have these, these odd shaped pear like heads, and then they have these two giant bowling ball sized testicles for chins. It is really odd. But and what's funny about They're veiny. They're oh, veiny. Yeah. 
it's like they're they're in full throb mode or something. They but anyway. are. Yeah, they, he's got blue chins. Yeah, well, I mean it's. Uh, well, and what's interesting, it seems like the higher up in the ranks you go, the bigger your testicles get. Not even a joke. No, seriously, you know? seriously, yeah. you're right. You are yeah. right. <laughs> it's yeah. really, I don't know how they uh, they play it out. I don't know how they measure that, but and their look, <laughs> their their look has morphed a million times from issue to issue. It's like there's yeah. not a consistency issue, but I think that it's intentional. So you know, from issue to issue, they got you know by God grosser. You need to make them more like give them a little bit more sack. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. It, it it is there is definitely something going on visually with them for sure it's uh and it is not pleasant to look at especially when you notice the veins it's oh. mm. <clears throat> not a veiny guy oh no no nothing to cr- yeah, look at the vascularity of those chins <laughs> uh now the uh the man Thunder Crush he rises from his seat and he basically is walking around this uh this room looking for someone to hit. <laughs> he just wants to hit somebody. He's like he's like why I ordering everybody. Um the gentle inquirer he stands up and he decides he'll take one for the team and he allows himself to get slapped silly for a little bit. And uh after Thunder Crush is you know satisfied with slapping him around he walks away and we see the gentle inquirer uh smiling. Uh, he seems very happy that he took this beating, which makes us feel like he might have some sort of a plan. Yeah, hmm. just listen, there's nothing more liberating than having a plan, man. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever had a backup plan, but I, I remember like in real life, mm-hmm. you know, one of my workplaces, it was like it was starting to get a little bit miserable about here because, you know, there were some corporate changes, some scheduling differences, new tasks and mm-hmm. just new new ways of doing things. And it just wasn't fun. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I went ahead and after several years, I went and got myself a new job. Oh. And brother, I tell you, but the thing was that job didn't start for another two months. So I sort of had to still infiltrate my current company and just hang tight till my <laughs> other job started. Sure. But I will tell you what, those two months that I stayed with that company, I took zero shit. <laughs> I, <laughs> I left on time. I was happy to the point that people thought I was mental. It was perfect workplace bliss. I mean, literally five o'clock would come. I w- didn't matter what I was doing. It was drop it all, zip up the coat and out the door. And people were like, what just happened? <laughs> and I would come, I would come and I wouldn't even make an excuse for it the next day. Hey, how you doing, Chris? Great. And I grabbed my clipboard and head right to the floor again. Woo-hoo! The, uh, the lame duck portion, yes, where you're it's just riding out the clock. Um, <laughs> so good. As for real life, um, I was working on a government contract uh, about about ten ten or so years ago, and uh, it was a huge project where uh, we were dependent on a very archaic sort of a sort of a computerized system here, or very maybe not so much archaic, but a system that uh, not everybody was comfortable with, and so. As we worked, I kept physical backups of everything um, ah. because I don't trust – I didn't trust – the every, every backup plan I've ever come up with is basically because I'm cynical and uh, distrusting of everything. Listen, so you, I, you cannot be too uh, too trustworthy in 2020, sir. You gotta, that, was a good, true. that was a good point. It's true. So I, I kept physical uh, copies of everything. And uh, so like my, my little you know office space was uh, just full of data. And, you know, people are like, oh, why, why are you holding on to this stuff? I'm like, ah, just, just, you know, just holding on to it. No big deal. And then uh, for a weekend, the uh, we had a monsoon. Uh, out here in Arizona, we have monsoons for, you know, a little bit of the summer. 
which are big storms that Arizona is never prepared for. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we had this uh, monsoon killed the power uh, right in the middle of a backup. So all of the data that was being you know processed and sent was lost. Oh. And uh, yes, uh, which really would have hurt our quality rating on this project had I not kept physical copies of everything. And uh, Bam, so bingo. Yes. Yeah, so like that, that Monday I came in and uh, they're like, oh, we, we lost all the data for the past two weeks. I'm like, no, we didn't. I got it. They're like, well, no, 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 we don't have it. I'm like, no, I have it right here. It's it's I, everything here is physical. All we have to do is reenter. And uh, and, and, and I think that might be the closest I've ever been to getting kissed by a man. So that was you don't uh, want to be too good, Chris. We're, we're depending. <laughs> Listen, that's all good, brother. <laughs> Whatever. But uh, that was uh, that was my, one of my backup plans that actually worked. And then all of a sudden, everybody started keeping physical backups of everything. So worked out really well. Worked Look out at really you, well. the super planner. Mm-hmm. Uh, if only I was on the super train, it would be all good. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, back to the story. We're in Monument Valley, which uh, I guess is right outside that ghost town where that plastic piping plant is. And uh, Pilar and Silencer, they're, they're staking out the plant in silence. <laughs> Ooh, yay. Um, moments later, they're joined by the rest of the team, which begs the question, why did they bother to split up in the first place? <laughs> we got a case of the writing blues here, man. There probably was a lunch break or a week <laughs> off. And you know what it is when you're when you're writing an epic blog post or something and you just forget where you left off or you, or you just leave it for a while and you come back to it. And all of a sudden, <laughs> probably, you know, yeah. yeah, if you didn't refresh yourself on where you were and just pick up where you think you were. Chances are you're writing the same stuff over again. And I've done that a million times where I've started and stopped a blog post and I just pick up and start typing, you know what I mean, without rereading what I had done previously. And all of a sudden I've got the same content in like three different paragraphs because of my start and stop. <laughs> you're like, oh, God. Now, I'm not a super editor, but I guarantee you that's probably what happened here. Could be for sure. Um, now, they, they put this plan together, right? Now, now, stop us if you heard this one before, but they have a plan. In which they can use their powers in tandem. Shut your mouth. <laughs> that almost <laughs> never happens in this book. Ever. Now, we, we do shift inside the plant where the geeks inside, are, they get an alert that, that there are some, you know, there are something, there's something approaching. Initially, they fear that it's the Horde, but find out it's something far worse. It's actually Strike Force Moratori coming for them. <laughs> now, the commander inside this plastic piping plant is uh, kind of beside himself. But deep down, he knows that whatever punishment they're about to get, they deserve. It's amazing how easy the moratorium actually get into this compound. I mean, <laughs> you think about issues one and two where we saw like the moratorium headquarters. I mean, they had to isolate a full team of like rookie recruits from, you know, yeah. from getting out. Now, they did manage to escape, but with great difficulty. But yet this compound where they're building top secret moratorium is, you know, easily breached. I mean, you get literally these guys just break in without any failure and it's, you know, it's just it's just super. It's not even funny how quick they get in. It doesn't even make sense. It's true. It's true here because, uh, you know, as the team approaches the base, uh, the the building's defenses activate. Right. So it's like, you know, the little laser pistols and all this stuff just comes out of the building. And uh, remember, our team is acting in tandem, so they make very short work of the incoming ballistics and whatnot here. Uh, some examples. Backhand deflects the bless. It's kind of what he does. <laughs> uh, Shear cuts through a fence. OK. So we have a big hole in the fence. Brava then drops a boulder in the gap in the fence. Doesn't that seem <laughs> counterproductive? I don't know what she was going for there, but anyway. 
Like, did she think the fence was going to heal itself? <laughs> like, do fences do that? I mean, all it did was put an obstacle in their way. Now they have to climb over a stupid boulder instead of a fence. Um, I, I, want you, I want you to think about something. They, they had two lasers and a fence. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> well done. <laughs> now, Sheer and Brava then worked together to uh, cut and bash their way into the base. Uh, all the while, Silencer uh, keeps them silent. I always tried to figure out when we first talked about this character and her dance silent, you know, her, um, her audio dampening abilities. I always thought it was, you know, the worst power, but this is the first time where the light bulb went off with me and it was like, mm. okay, it finally makes sense. So if they're trying to sneak into a place, she can, you know, dampen all their, all their movements and all their sounds. Sure. So that's kind of good. She can stop alarms, the sound of alarms from going off. She can stop, you know, disabling noise. So, you know, if you're in a, uh, you know how they try to flush people out with loud music and different things like that. She's got the ability to shut all that down. Now, I know sure. it's a stretch, but finally, for once, she actually has a use, <laughs> which, you know, and by issues doing, in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She'll be doing more for sure. But it's like it is the first time that we've seen her use her power where it's not an instant eye roll. It's like, <laughs> it's like, OK, make that corner of the room silent. Got it. It's like. Well, great. Thank you. Wonderful. But we uh, see there's a, there's a whole lot more to the silencer at the end of this is. issue. So that's good. Absolutely. Now, once inside, Toxin, if you remember Ruth, she actually is still part of this team and she is with us on this mission. Uh, not that you would know it from any other scene, but this one. Uh, she she spits into each of her teammates' hands. And uh, so basically, if they're confronted by anybody, it's, you know, this toxic nasty loogies in their hands they can slap the people and put them to sleep for a bit yeah i thought it was pretty genius at the beginning but then yeah. i was like wouldn't this just this dissolve into people and just blood poison them or something i don't know just saying and like they'd be walking with like one hand like colossus's action figure just like an open <laughs> palm it's like so it doesn't is that spit in your hand? Is that spit or you're just happy to see me? Yes. <laughs> Will DeGucci is uh, kind of our point man here. He's got his sensory power, so he's leading them to whatever it has, whatever it is that's been, you know, calling out to him. Whatever thing he is sensing, he is leading the way. And uh, they arrive in front of some of the workers of the plant, and they are pretty much uh, frozen in place, scared stupid. They didn't even have to be slapped with the uh, toxic spit. Nope. Um, now, the team does notice that the technology that, are there, that is being used and employed at this plant is very familiar to them. So uh, maybe the jig's just about up. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Will guides the team to a giant door. Uh, fake Harold attempts to overwhelm its electric defenses with his powers, but gets shocked so hard he gets dropped to his bottom. Uh, Brava decides she doesn't have time for any such finesse and just muscles the thing up. Just to think about think about these new recruits for a second. You know, they're essentially just replacements for the people who died. You know what I mean? More or less, huh? Yeah. So you got Brava, you know, the strong one. I mean, she basically replaces Marathon, who has like the big strength. So then you got like Backhand, who is literally Harold slash Viking. A hundred percent. Like he's literally that character. Mm -hmm. Same powers. He actually looks like him, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Then you got Silencer, who is our adept or, you know, I don't want to use the term token black character, but you know what I mean? She's the sure. she's the uh, African-American character with the, with unusual powers. You know what I mean? And not unusual and non, non-traditional powers, I will say. So, or, or almost like a like passive power or, or yes. what's what's the uh, 
What's pacifist powers? Yes, that's exactly what it is. And then you got Sheer. Well, I haven't figured him out. Sheer is just well, <laughs> just Sheer. <laughs> but what about Wild Card? Uh, <laughs> oh, we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> we will. Now, inside, you know, the door is up. Okay, so inside and behind this door, this is the first door that opens where it's not the horde behind it. This is actually where they see a, per, a, a peculiar-looking group of moratory monsters. And, but it still uh, goes with the trend that there's still monsters behind the door, so they haven't broken the yes. broken their own rule. Yes, there's just an asterisk there. It's just it's all good. Um, now we actually get, and this is a break in format for uh, for this title. Uh, we get two full-page spreads of this reveal. And this is amazingly well done here. The first spread focuses on the monsters. So we're seeing these monsters who just look like they are in such misery and pain. The next page is like from the monster's point of view, seeing our moratory team and the looks of shock on their face. And uh, and while while this, you know, this is Scott Williams, who did a wonderful, wonderful job. I I, part of me still wishes uh, we had Brenda Anderson on this one. Yeah, I got to say, but I tell you what, Scott actually manages to pull this off. You know, Brent Anderson in this series always had that one page where he captures epic emotion and just has this Mm -hmm. amazing panel where it just jumps off the page as lifelike. Now, Williams here, his artwork is intentionally grotesque. You know, it's sympathetic, if we'll say. You get to feel the pain of these monsters. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, if we can't have Anderson, I'll gladly take Williams. Uh, his, char- his characters are a little bit different, though. He goes for a more uh, basic superheroic look, you know what I mean? A more traditional sense. Like, Brent Anderson always went for, like, a very defined, unusual face. He didn't go for, mm-hmm. like, the chiseled jaw of a Superman, you know what I mean? He put someone with a big nose. He gave someone, like, weird eyes and weird hair, you know what I mean? He wasn't mm-hmm. afraid to go unconventional with his character drawings. But it seems like Williams actually takes these characters and gives them... A basic superhero look, so he sort of brings a more mainstream and look. I mean, take a look at um, Sheer, for example. I mean, mm-hmm. Sheer Sheer loses his Seth Rollins big nose thing, and he just sure. sort of looks like like a Should superhero do, Sheer. Yeah, yeah. Do with floppy hair, yeah. Yeah, you got Pilar's. Like Pilar usually has this weird cat look. She, like she has the big cat like yes. hair and yep. the eyes. And I mean, even Hardcase, who I always said looked like a pedo, you know, he sort of looks like more <laughs> more of a hero here. You know. It, it's a fun look, and I and I actually I really do like it. But you know, I still prefer the unusual charactery style of Anderson. But uh, no real complaints, man. This book feels like comfort food to me with Williams drawing it. No problem. Yeah, it definitely would take Williams every day over Wills Pertasio for sure. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> now, uh, back to the story here. Deguchi approaches one of these uh, monsters here and reads its thoughts, and it begs for death. It's like, please kill me. Please yeah, kill me. I thought that, that's rough, man. I, I don't like yeah. seeing seeing that. But anyway, it really it really hits you. It does. It knocks you over like like a brick. Um, the, the, the team deduces that this is the sort of thing that's going to happen when the Padilla try and make more Tories without Dr. Tolima's involvement. This is, uh, you know, Tolima as, you know, a mad scientist and mangly as he was, he still had a, a care for his subjects where, I mean, it, it's almost like, even if you look at it from the, the aspect of the location here, Dr. Talima worked like in a, like almost like a, a physician's sort of an environment. Yes. These monsters are grown in labs. 
you know, with, where with no with no care for the for the person or just, the human being. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're just experiments. subjects. They're just experiments. A hundred percent here. And uh, another one of the monsters who can actually speak begs the moratory to kill them. <laughs> it, now, 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 are these laboratory created monsters or are these genetically altered humans? I believe they're humans who underwent this like experimental version of the process and it just messed with their makeup. Jesus. Yeah, that's that's kind of the impression that we're getting here because, you know, like we said, Tolima had a care for them and wanted wanted the result that comes out the other end to be something he could uh, maybe not so much be proud of, but something he can maybe sort of sleep at night with where these are just assembly line monsters, assembly line moratory. And uh, it's a, uh, it's really a, like a wrenching scene to see. Um, it is. Because we've been, we've been just so invested, not only in the team, but in the process now. And now we see like how it could be, how something so perverted as it is, could be even more perverted and dark. So very awesome scene here. Um, but the scene is interrupted because the horde alarm goes off here, and uh, it turns out the baddies are on their way. And uh, this is where I got the thought that maybe those spores uh, that, that attached themselves to the moratory were kind of a kind of a way where the horde could keep track of them and like maybe follow those spores to to you know trick out where they're at. I think they should have they should have at least alluded to that anyway. You know what mm. I mean? How did how did they find us and just show like a shot of their cap or something with a spore cut in Maybe. it? You know what I mean? Yeah. That would have been cool. But anyway, I think I think you're right on the money with that. I think that's exactly what that was. It could be. It could be. Um, now the gang heads out to the main room of the facility, and our man Deguchi here, no longer a douche, <laughs> he, he confronts the commander, uh, <laughs> and the commander ain't speaking. But he reads the commander's thoughts, and he learns that uh, they feel like what they were doing was right. They're at the the pipe plant here. Uh, you know, they created these monsters, and if they were given the opportunity to do it over again, they would. And mm. uh, upon learning that, Will just beats the crap out of this son of a bitch. Yes, sir, <laughs> he, he just, does. He just loses it. Heads up, demand that Gucci is on fire here, man. He is Love indeed. It. Uh, Foe Harold says, like, okay, so what's the plan now? And Deguchi, he, like, just, like, slumps his shoulders and says, now we die. This just isn't worth it anymore. It's time for us, the Horde, the Padilla, everyone just needs to die. And it's, uh, it's pretty dark stuff here. And, uh, another, another page that, uh, that Williams knocks out of the park because, like, Deguchi, we're not used to seeing him, we're used to seeing him... In various moods, but not just this sullen and just given up sort of a feel. He's um, never he's never been given a serious serious outlook. He's always no. had you know the bumbling, fumbling sort of coy. Uh, yeah, yeah, the guy who really didn't know how to use his powers properly, and all of a sudden he's got a full grasp of his powers. Yeah, he's in full command. He's actually taken a little bit of a leadership edge here, but man, he's uh, he's really down on himself here in this whole thing. For sure. And uh, it's Silencer who uh, actually is able to get everyone back on the same page, uh, basically by keeping everyone quiet, you know, because people are <laughs> she's like, she's like, no, no, we need to get stuff together. And then like Sheer starts saying something and she like snaps her fingers and's like, nope, you're quiet now. <laughs> Man, that, what off. useful power that would have to be in the household. Wouldn't that be <laughs> great? You have someone who's uh, I'm not saying your wife now. I would never suggest such a thing. Never. But just imagine having silencing powers and someone's someone's, you know making balls at you or something like that. You just go, well, you're silenced. You're quiet. Yep. Bye. So that's, 
<laughs> so, so Silencer is basically shutting down the whole team here. It's like, nope, you don't talk now. Nope, you don't talk now. We need to get together here. We need to be, you know, we just need to take care of what's going on here. And uh, right after this, everyone's sort of back on the same page. The Horde bursts in, and uh, the battle is on here. Um, well, actually, first, before this happens, uh, the silence here that, that Silencer has evoke, invoked on everybody, it's broken by Will picking up some thoughts from those Moratory monsters, you know? Yes. Uh, and these thoughts are basically a message saying, you know what? We'll help you fight the Horde. We'll help you beat the Horde that are coming only, you know, if and only if the Moratory promise to put us out of our misery when all said and done. And uh, which is, you know, a pretty loaded uh, proposition. Um, and uh, it turns out that these moratory monsters are true to their word here. Uh, Will and Sheer, they get into the doorway, that big doorway where the monsters were uh, locked behind here. And they channel the full power of these moratory monsters into the fake Harold. Ah. So he could uh, tur- in turn deflect the full brunt of these moratory monster powers toward the horde which puts them out of commission before they could do like anything but break the door. They, they... I, tell you, I tell you, man, this new team seems to have the numbers, you know, the Horde's number, I guarantee. It's almost like it's not even fair. They yeah. got their stuff together as a team, like they do. better than any other generation. It's like they're working in tandem a lot better. And mm-hmm. even, but I'll tell you what, these, uh, these new moratory, they are, they're loaded for, uh, for power, man. They're not fooling around. Yeah. The monsters are just, just, totally killing it here uh, the battle is won and all we're left with is uh is the moratory keeping that promise they made and uh we get two very very heavy pages to wrap this one up here uh silencer you know, she walks up to the moratory monsters she places her hand on their chests and silences their hearts and uh we wrap up with this being maybe a little bit too much to bear for silencer and she screams about what she was just forced to do. So interesting here. And uh, I've got to respect the silencer character because this is the first time they've given her any bit of legit development. So Mm -hmm. not only does she silence noise, but now she can actually stop hearts. She tried that last time, but it didn't work. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of, you know, at a left field here. I know they tried it before, but this is the first time it's actually worked. For sure. And this is a very serious ability, very dangerous, actually. So, you know, this particular moratory member just went up a couple notches in the scheme of things, man. This is some serious power she's got here. Yeah, she's definitely following in Jaylene's footsteps here and us kind of dismissing her at first and uh, yep. maybe being the most uh, valuable asset for the team here. But I mean, this, and I love the juxtaposition between the character silencer who can silence sound, letting out a tremendous scream. Yes. It was I mean, beautiful. Just, it was beautiful, oh, man. God, well written. Well you written. get chills. You get chills. It's just so damn good. And uh, that's that's where we leave off here. And uh, if if we would have said, and this is something we say every every week, if you would have said it with issue 17, we'd still be loving this. I'd have said, nope. <laughs> well, here we I did. are. <laughs> I did. I, I was fully engaged. I loved Absolutely. every ounce of this issue. I, I mean, uh, is it the best issue? I, uh, you know what? It's it's not it's not terrible. It's it's no, definitely it's a top good. ten, yeah. man. It was really for good sure. for sure. And uh, just so many, uh, you know. And, and we're going to get into the letters page in a little bit here, where they, oh. where where somebody somebody's going to question the characterization in this book. But 
I mean, is there, is, <laughs> oh is there, my God. Is there any stronger element to this book than the characterization? This is the heartbeat of this entire book, man. The, uh, yeah. the, the characters, you just get so wrapped up in them. And that is what just what this separates this book from anything released in the 80s, man. This is really something. Yeah, I mean, even the characters that we don't tremendously care for here. I mean, Sheer, looking at Sheer, I want to throw up, but he's got, he he actually is is forming a character here. Uh, Hard case, he said like four words, but still he he has his position on the team here. We're, We're seeing some depth to him where... He is the guy who's going against orders against his will because he's he's come up in a culture where you just follow orders. It's uh, we're really just seeing a lot of layers of depth piled onto these characters, where you know it's it's hard to put into words because they have so much trauma within them with this you know the year the the year of death sentence here, and to have all of this uh, all this experience and all of this conflict dropped on them after the fact it almost seems unfair but it's just so damn enjoyable to experience along with them oh totally agree such a just a breath of fresh air man in the comic book world this is i'm I'm glad that we're looking back at this because uh you know i don't have that air of disappointment that i get with you know some of the books that i read these days this is just this is just fun times every i look forward to every monday man absolutely absolutely and uh this is uh, the second issue where, and, and you know what? This might be the first issue where no one from the first generation is even mentioned. Oh, yeah, really? I mean, you got literally the only one left is Blackthorn, yep. Aileen, who's on the run, didn't even get a mention this issue. Yeah, because last issue she wasn't in it, but she did get a mention. This time I don't yep. even think she got that. So it's uh, it feels like we're we're moving on. and. Uh, Speaking of mentions, this letter page should be titled oh. uh, Str- Strike Force Moratory Sabotage because I have oh, never seen a more relentless, destructive letters page in the history of comic books than this. Yeah, this is one of those, like, like uh, what is that thing as a manager when you give a review, you give, like, the compliment sandwich, you know? Yeah, where, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it's like one good thing, then you fit it's in your, all the it's, bad it's your, stuff. It's your strength, weaknesses, and opportunities. There you go. There it is here. And that's basically what all the letters are here. And we're not going to read them line by line. We're just going to pull out the main thoughts here. Uh, The first one comes from Chris in Santa Cruz, and he says that he loved issue 14, which involved that Hordian carjacker. And uh, we love that one as well. That was a that was a that was a very, very strong scene, probably one of the strongest in the entire run. But he hates the new team, which is the third Jenners. (laughs) <laughs> I think I actually wrote this letter. Maybe I'm the Chris and I lived in Santa <laughs> Cruz. Be. I didn't even know it. Uh, <laughs> but I believe, you know, hating the third genders, I think that's the point because yeah. I think uh, how they introduce people is is fairly genius. So mm-hmm. uh, I know you and I do some work on wrestling podcasts and all that stuff. And one of the worst things that happens when you're developing a character in the wrestling world is to give somebody what's called a face push to try to get them over. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, To be, to be over with the fans. You know what I mean? You got a guy called Roman Reigns who, Mm -hmm. uh, for better or for worse, you know, the company tried to push as their, you know, their big good. Yeah. They're, they're good guy. And the fans rejected it because it didn't seem like it was authentic. It wasn't genuine. They didn't give you a chance to feel good about this character. They just said, okay, now he's a bad, he was a bad guy. He's good. You got to love him. And they yep. didn't have that separation of storyline to really explain it. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. So you got a generation of, uh, of newcomers coming in that are, you know, antagonistic in the beginning. Yep. But all of a sudden, you get to like them 
over time because they're giving you reasons. You get to see their abilities. You get to see how they interact with the team. They still have these crappy aspects of them, but it's starting to override and you're getting to like them. And I think that is a genius way to push somebody. It gives the it gives the audience the ability to push them, not forced on you. That's perfect. Exactly, exactly. So, yes, we, we definitely agree with uh, Santa Cruz Chris here that, uh, yeah, the third geners, they, they, they stunk the first time. They were uh, they yep. were there to kick in the doors and take over, and uh, we weren't about to let that happen. And, uh, and now here we are where we are finding out that they have some value. Yep. Uh, now, letter two comes from Douglas from Parts Unknown. Uh, he has some suggestions. You ready oh. for some suggestions from All Douglas right. in Parts Unknown? What, what do you think is is a great suggestion for this book, All Doug? Right. I wonder. Now, Doug says that there needs to be more characterization. <laughs> <laughs> right on, Dougie. Yeah, I mean, have you been reading this book, Doug? I mean, <laughs> well, this is... Let's give uh, the guy a break. The The editor himself sometimes doesn't even read this book. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we'll true. have to give, give Doug a little pass on this one. <laughs> the editor gets paid to read it, and he doesn't do it. Um <laughs> He also wants more Padilla intrigue. Oh, okay. That's like the page. That's like the like the, the couple of pages in every issue that I, I would rather just glaze over. Yep, um, that's the first. That's the first thing that gets the old swipe. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and he wants he wants to know more about the horde culture. Now, listen. I think I'd be if you had a double size issue. Remember the last double size issue where they sort of did a throwaway. They had the little comedic part in the back and then they yeah. had Hordian tech profiled. I think yeah. I'd like a profile on the Hordian world to get to see their, you know, their collections that they have because they like they're collectors. Basically they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're gold. They're, you know, they're gold hunters. They go around and they collect stuff on different worlds and bring it back. And they also have this tent structure, this hierarchy that they build. So, you know, just seeing what that's all about, would kind of be cool. So, you know, horde culture is probably not the most interesting topic, but if you're going to do it, that's how I would do it. Because the, the last time we had a deep dive on the Horde culture, it was called Cats. Oh, whoa. You're right. Forget it. I don't want to hear anything <laughs> about the Horde culture. What was I thinking? <laughs> no, letter three uh-huh. comes from Jim in Minnesota. And uh, he loved, just like we did, the merciful sparing of that family in the carjacking scene. Well, oh, boy. I mean, it's one of the most emotional scenes we've had in the entire series. Seriously. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it shows a development to the enemy, which is probably the best thing of the entire thing. So you think about it when we're at, say, if you're at war with another race or another culture or something, uh, you know, just because we're at war with these people doesn't instantly, you know, make make them monsters. You know, yeah. if, we're, if you're fighting someone, it doesn't mean that the other guy's wrong in his opinion or his attitude. It's just different. You know what I mean? It's really good to see that point of view. And you got to sympathize with a horde soldier, which was yeah, awesome. Exactly. No, that was very, very, very great scene. Um, our fourth letter comes from Greg with uh, three G's uh, in Massachusetts, and he is said that Wildcard died in his first appearance. <laughs> He's a haberdasher for Christ's sakes. <laughs> Well, listen, I agree. I agree. I wish he lasted at least a couple issues to get to know him. But uh, listen, if there was anyone who uh, who was going to be the red shirt of this entire theme, I'm I'm glad it was the fashion icon himself, Wildcard. So see ya. (laughs) See ya, Ollie Queen. Um, Oh, boy. He was was fun to look at because he looked so much like Green Arrow. I wonder, was it a direct shot at Ollie Queen just to dispatch him so quickly? I wonder. It could have been. It could have if you, been. If, if you're making like, um, 
Strikeforce moratory to represent like other superhero groups who, you know, everything was about deconstruction back in the yeah. late 80s. You know, when we all were deconstructing the superhero with Watchmen and Alan Moore was so prolific in doing that. You know what I mean? I wonder with some of these new characters that were just easily dispatched, was that just like a statement on like crappy characters? <laughs> I'm just wondering out loud. You know what I mean? Anyway. Our, our fifth letter comes from Bob in Green Bay, and he is worried Oh, so worried that this book will be canceled. Whoa. <laughs> and uh, I think he might be about to learn that there are worse fates for a book than cancellation. <laughs> we're all about to learn that. Yeah, well, like, I, I guess, Bobby, uh, you were right as rain, my friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, pass, go, collect $200. Yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> you figured it out, my friend. Um, those were the only letters. Uh, so Man. you would figure, like, nothing really over the top, like – excited it was i you know we'll we'll give it to them for being you know uh transparent i guess with the uh the way things are uh with the reception to the title to the book um i mean right now on a different program we're looking at letters pages from the first few issues of x-force and uh these letters are coming across as so sycophantic saying that oh, this yeah. art should be hung in museums. <laughs> hung somewhere. <laughs> if a museum is the appropriate place. <laughs> Bathroom stall, maybe. <laughs> where, whereas this one, it, it, there is an earnestness, there is an honesty, where it's like, oh, we'll, 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 give, you, we'll give you the letters we get, warts and all. Um, <laughs> but it, it doesn't bode well. It doesn't bode well. Nay, nay, sir. Oh, boy. But uh, another one of our favorite parts of the book is the bullpen bulletins page. Or maybe it's one of our favorites to hate. Um, yes, it is. Now the quote of the month. How uh, you want? You want to? You want to hit the hit the folks with the quote of the month? Sure. The Marvel bullpen actually says, "Happy holidays, you guys." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buy our crappy books. Because <laughs> this did come out December first, so yes, this is uh, the holiday season. Uh, we do have news items. Oh, these are so bad. Um, oh. I, I see the I see what's happening here. I'll I'll tell you what I think. Yeah. About after. yeah. Okay. We, go we ahead. Will, we will decompress the Marvel bullpen pretty soon. Yes. Um. First item: Jumbo Jim Novak leaves the Marvel production department to go back to freelance lettering. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Listen, we don't need you in our production studio. Can you just go back to like drawing words? <laughs> Please. Uh, now Virginia Ramita will take over his role. Ramita, interesting. Yeah, we, we we don't want to say that there was any uh, the the fix was in or anything, but uh, no. But listen, you got a, you got another guy leaving. We saw this a couple issues ago where people like Larry Hama was demote. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not more, you know, he moved to another area of expertise, mm-hmm. I should say. Yeah. But you know, you know what happens here at Marvel? Nobody ever leaves Fight Club. You know, they're forced to leave Larry Hama style. You know what <laughs> I mean? Wonder how IDW is treating them these days. Not that I care, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> On a similar note. Yes. Eriodite Adam Blaustein leaves his role as assistant editor on special projects. So you get someone from the production department, mm-hmm. then you get an assistant editor. Yeah, and, and this fella, he's going to go to become a, quote, production man. He, he's going to be the liaison to the chemical color studio. Ah, here's some crayons and a pay cut, buddy. <laughs> Hit the bricks, <laughs> Junior. Man, you know what's going on here? I'll tell you what's actually happening here. And it's, <laughs> quote me if I'm wrong, but this feels like Jim Shooter just went out the door only a few months ago. And it mm-hmm. seems like they're completely dismantling the Shooter regime here. Yeah. Not so subtly. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yes. 
No, so Blaustein's think... role, yeah, he it will be taken over by diligent David Wall. Ooh. So, I diligent. don't know. Yeah, he is diligent. He is not erudite, <laughs> but he is diligent. I don't know who he is. Um, granted, it's an assistant editor on special projects. I don't know if we're supposed to know who that is. Yeah. Um, the rest of this news, uh, the news segment here, is all about the Marvel staffers changing and trading offices. Who oh. cares? Who yeah. gives a rat's ass? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Who's reading the, Who's reading these issues? It's literally eight to 13-year-olds who were reading yeah. at this time, right? That's, Do that's I your... care what window Bob Harris is looking out? No. Did, did any of those kids actually read these profiles? Just us. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yes, exactly right. <laughs> and I, it's like, it's just so... We're, when we get through the profile... We're going to get to the, uh, you know, the mighty Marvel checklist. There is so little room for the checklist that they, that none of the ongoing titles have blurbs, okay? That's a spoiler alert for five minutes down the show. Why did we get three paragraphs about, you know, Louis Simonson's changing to this office? Who cares? I, I, I guess to make, you know what? It seems like more, not for the reader, but more as a message to the people who work there. Maybe is like is like is there a comic version of Dave Meltzer reading this? Like I, I just heard that Louise Simonson's in Office Three. This this is this is the dirty memo that you want passed around the office. That's what this is. It's got to be, huh? Yeah, it's almost yep. got to be. But uh, yep. yeah, so that that's all the news items are about people getting canned and people changing offices. So mm. there you go. Let's jump into the profile and we'll meet Bob Harris. Uh, He's a, a fellow who we were, we were getting very familiar with on a different program. Um, now, his gig, he is the editor on X-Factor, The Incredible Hulk, all of the G.I. Joe, Ooh. Spellbound, and the Inhumans graphic novel. Well, I, so you got some good stuff here, number one. Mm-hmm, sure. uh, the one thing that sticks out to me was G.I. Joe. Man, G.I. Joe, that comic book, the real American hero back in 88, was amazing. Firing on all firing on all cylinders. To be quite honest, I loved it. So, you know, you got some good stuff here, Bob Harass. Yeah, and you know, uh, Hulk was. Uh, I think Peter David was popping in around now. Uh, X yep. Factor was uh, pretty strong. So Harris has himself uh, some uh, some good uh, some good titles under his belt here. Yes, sir. Now we jump to his freelance credits from the past. They include Iron Man, Thor. Avengers, Thing, and the RoboCop movie adaptation. Ah, so I was a I was a big fan of the Thing series. I don't know what you mm-hmm. thought of it. Did you like the Thing? I always wanted to read it. I think I have a bunch of them. I just never sat down to do it. Oh, this is after Chris. this is after like where, where he was left on like Battle World. Um, yes, from Secret. Yeah. So if so if you like World War Hulk, that's basically mm-hmm. what the thing morphed into. It, okay. It's a really good series. So his solo series is definitely worth a read, man. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just popcorn fun, and it's really cool. really fun. So I would recommend that to anybody. But I bought the uh, the RoboCop adaptation, actually. Mm-hmm. So I bought that right off the shelf, and I loved it. And one of the things that they did great was they're adapting this for kids. So they're taking an R-rated movie, and I guarantee you RoboCop was an R-rated movie. <laughs> it was full of guns and tits and blood, and, I mean, this <laughs> thing was uh, wow. But anyway, they, they, you know, they still gave a good feel in that adaptation. You didn't feel like you were cheated. So, you know, Love great it. job to Mr. Harris. Yes, yeah, I know uh, his current freelance credits include the Shield limited series. Oh, okay. I didn't, not familiar with it. Yeah, I mean there were a bunch, so he was one of them. Um, mm-hmm. His hobbies. Uh, 
Okay. Bob Harris, in his free time, likes to go spelunking, hang yep, gliding. I, I like spelunking, too, with Paul mm-hmm. Abdul. <laughs> Cliff diving in Acapulco. Uh, mountain climbing in the Himalayas and breaking hearts. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, a bull, bull danky there, right? It's, <laughs> yes, uh, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, the work he is most proud of include his work on Thor number 365 and Rom number 50. I don't know, have any idea what's significant about Rom 365. Any idea? No. No, so I, it I, sounds I, like it might be like the Microsoft subscription program, like Thor 365, but uh, that's all <laughs> I can think of. I, I can't think of exactly what might have happened in it. I think that uh, calling something Thor would be a good use, a good good uh, a good name for a piece of software. Hey, did you <laughs> download Thor 365? Absolutely. <laughs> but, but anyway, 1999 a year. Yeah. I I did manage to get ROM number 50, and I bought. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't buy every single issue of ROM, but I certainly bought a good chunk of it. If I saw it there and I had the extra cash, I always bought ROM, and I have number 150. And ask actually. When you think about storyline, so Rom is all about a, you know, a silver armored space knight hunting down aliens. So, you mm-hmm. know, similar to what Strike Force Moratori is doing, except in this issue, Rom and his girlfriend Starshine take on the Skrulls. And guess okay. what? They find out about the Skrulls. They actually get mm-hmm. a, they actually turn the Skulls into sympathetic characters, almost exactly what they're doing here with the Horde. And plus, I, I think that. I think if I'm not mistaken, it was double size too. So, yeah, you listen. If you like if you like Rom, you're not going to go wrong with issue 50. Good one. Yeah, that, that was one that I I got like the entire run in a 25 cent bin at a half price. Oh books. man, it's yeah. it's 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 half decent stuff. There's there's some bad stuff there. Uh, some of the Ditko stuff that uh, people like to praise. I don't think is particularly strong, but uh, there's there's some good stuff. Now I I just looked up uh, Thor 365 here, and Bob Harris's name is nowhere on it. So. Uh, it's a uh, it's the one with the Thor frog, you know. Oh uh, no! Yeah, hot garbage. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't see Bob Harris's name here on on, yeah, on here anywhere. He's so proud he didn't even put his own credit in there. There you go. Now his pet peeves: <sighs> Munchkins, especially those from the Lollipop Guild. Ugh. Why why are they even bothering with this idiot? Munchkins are disturbing. Move on. I, you know, I, I like them at Dunkin' Donuts. Um, oh, oh, yes, hell yes. Yeah, those are good. Um, his greatest accomplishment outside of comics is something so stupid we're not going to mention it here. Um, <laughs> his his oddest habit is sitting in strange positions. In wasn't the, in it back, wasn't it the, the guy who who did we who did we cover last week? I think that was Carl Potts who sleeps in strange positions. Do you think that Carl? No, never mind. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Moving on. Um, <laughs> Al Pacino would play him in a movie about his life. Oh, yeah. Is yes. he the Hua-ha say, guy? Say hello to my little friend. That's okay, who that is, guy is. Scarface. Okay, is he Hua-ha as well? Who the hell is Hua-ha? Like that movie, he goes, Hua-ha. Is that him? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, okay. I didn't know if that hoo-ha, was the, yeah, the Nero. I always get them mixed up. Um, <laughs> now, why did Bob Harris pick comics? He says it's because he never wanted to grow up, which is a... Uh-huh. Finally, a good answer from this guy. Uh, me neither, man. Me neither. Hundred <laughs> percent, there, Bob. Now, people in high school thought he was an asshole. No, no, they didn't think he was an asshole. Uh, they thought he was sardonic. So, oh, basically an asshole. Yes. A S S H O L E. Everybody. <laughs> Some Dennis Leary. Yeah. <laughs> is that right. Dennis Leary? It is. Yes. Okay. He uses okay. public toilets and he pisses on the seat. <laughs> There he is. <laughs> I love it. 
Now, his favorite performers include Bruce Springsteen and Mark Gruenwald. Hmm. How does Mark Gruenwald get in here? (laughs) He seems to get like, as soon as Shooter went out the door, it seems like this is the like the the Gruenwald welcoming. Yes, was he like tied onto a desk in a corner in a locked cabinet before (laughs) Shooter left or what? I don't get it. I got to wonder if Bob Harris was wit- bore witness to the butt diving. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody should be bore witness to the butt diving. <laughs> no. Now, the last good book he did or didn't read is uh, Waiting for Childhood by Summerlock Elliott. Oh, my God. What a, what a beautiful book. I'm sure he didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure he didn't as well. Uh, the last good movie he saw was Fatal Attraction. Ah, this was back when Glenn Close was hot, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe she was, I'm afraid. Anyway, <laughs> this this also had Michael Douglas in here. Now, if you're thinking the 80s, Michael Douglas, man, he was he was the man back there, back in the day, okay? The ladies loved him. He was one of these, uh, you know, prolific actors and all that stuff. Now, <laughs> what I find funny about today's Michael Douglas is that Obviously, he had some health issues, and then I just took a took a look at some of his health issues. So he actually had or had the start of throat cancer. Okay. okay. Now, you might say, okay, that's that's pretty tragic. Until you figure out how he got throat cancer. Uh oh. Guess who blamed his wife for giving him throat cancer? How? How? Hmm, did did does she? Uh... Does she so, like spew out cordian spores into she, his throat? Uh, so the the virus HPV, which is uh, contracted with mm-hmm. uh, with sexual relations okay. in a certain certain area, uh-huh. um, can provide throat cancer. Uh oh. So he blamed his wife for his uh, sexual antics for providing his throat with uh, mm. with uh, throat cancer. Ooh. <laughs> So, so Miss uh, Miss Zeta Jones apparently has some uh, some of the a little bit of the bubbly going on downtown. We need the uh, yeah, we we need the uh, the, the the dentine guy to to tell us to chew on that. Um, <laughs> oh Jesus! That, that, um, that, that, yes, I don't think that's something that you blame your wife for, brother. I'm just saying. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, moving uh, on, brother. So, so that so Hoo-ah. that was the movie that. <laughs> Now that was the movie with the boy, the boiled bunny, right? You got it, sir. You okay, cool. It. So we'll bring it back here. Uh, now, <laughs> uh, Bob Harris's biggest in- influences here are uh, Ralph Macchio, Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, the other Ralph Macchio, Jane Austen, William Shakespeare, Joe Biden, and Donald Trump. I literally, I thought that someone like a double had, take. I literally thought someone had edited my digital copy. I thought literally this was this was put in there now. Uh, yes, now. I thought yeah. someone had had compromised it, but this is legit. This is actually an issue. They talk about Trump and Biden right now. And not only that, That's Jim and sense. Tammy Faye Baker. Whoa. Oh boy. But yeah. think about this. So Trump and Biden, obviously, they're presidential candidates for 2020, correct? Yep. But guess what? Guess what Jim Baker is doing? What is he doing? So during the current situation, and I won't be mentioning what the current situation is, this particular televangelist has gone on with his new girlfriend, who is certainly not dead Tammy, uh, and tried <laughs> to sell a cure. No. Through his, yes, and he's in the news for uh, for uh, defrauding people to, for providing a cure to the current situation. 
Wow. So you have That's three people. You got timely. You got, you got Jim Baker, Trump, and Biden, who are all top players in the news right now. Wow. We we just gotta like uh, like Ralph Macchio's gotta like rob a he's gotta like go rob a gas station or something. <laughs> you gotta get his gotta get his name back in the city, man. Yeah. We gotta at least have a, uh, a a third season of Cobra Kai or something to get his yeah. name back in the. Back William Shakespeare's got a William Shakespeare's got an overdose or something to get back in the news. <laughs> um, now, yeah, so 2020 uh, presidential election here. We know one guy who's going to be very excited for it. He might be the only one. Um, <laughs> now, also, no Stan Lee. Ah, and like I said last time, remember, Stan Lee was not exactly in the good graces of Marvel at this time. I don't think mm-hmm. there was super animosity, but. Wasn't he doing Stanley Productions or involved with that whole production company that that seemed was, to come and go throughout the years? I, I yeah, couldn't tell so, you. Yeah. So a bit of that was happening, and his whole you know developing projects in Hollywood was happening at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of distance between Stanley, Marvel's known ambassador, Excelsior himself, and the company. So just to see him not mentioned here is a very very curious statement. How quickly exactly. Stanley's name dropped off after Shooterville left. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bob Harris is he's he's not going to get Larry Hammett out. He's going to nope. still be here for like another decade plus. Yes, sir. Um, and, and even take the reins. He will be the editor in chief before uh, before the end of the uh, century. I like um, how the new new term for demotion is uh, Hammett out. Hammett out. Yep. <laughs> Got to hammer that out. So the next time the next time you let somebody go from your place of employment and say sorry, man, you're getting Hammett out. Um, <laughs> Now, Bob Harris's greatest unfulfilled ambition is to get his freelance work in on time. Uh, and, I mean, our man Jim Shooter isn't there to force that issue anymore, so I guess there's really no pressing urgency to do so. Good luck with that, brother. Mm-hmm. Worst part of his job, listening to Chris Claremont read his fan mail out loud. I liken Chris Claremont to, let me see. Tom King. <laughs> I bet Mr. Tom King stands in his room, and he's Tom King of Batman fame, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, who reads his fan mail aloud and only reads the positive messages because he can't take any negative messages and can't <laughs> understand why people did not give him a 10 out of a 10 ranking on his uh, <laughs> worthless, I mean, his incredible work on Batman. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a nerd geek fanboy reviews gave me a 10 out of 10 and said I'm brilliant because I used a word they saw in the first chapter of their psychology textbook. <laughs> mm, Bingo, yes. bango, brother. Yes. Now, <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry, Tommy. Yeah, right. Uh, now, uh, a little message of hope for Mr. Bob Harris here. You've only got three more years of Chris Claremont left because you will run him off pretty soon. <laughs> so. uh, I don't know if that's a good thing, but anyway. Well, it, it did spawn a certain podcast. Well, I <laughs> maybe we'll talk about that a little later. Who knows? Uh, now, when nobody's looking, Bob looks at himself. <laughs> I figure he's he's probably admiring his uh, very well manicured half beard. <laughs> when I think about you, I look at myself. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that uh, he would like the world to know about him is that he never wears bow ties. Ah, I once wore a spaghetti tie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that says about me, but I never <laughs> did get to the bow tie deal. You know what I mean? It was a little bit, a little bit too Pee Wee Herman for my liking. I don't know. Now I want to be clear here. I like Pee Wee Herman. Okay. So don't get me wrong. You know, I, I just don't want to look like the guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So bow ties are out for the Bailey Meister. I think I only wore one for my wedding. That might've been the only time I ever wore a bow tie. And you're still but, uh, married. 
So uh, yeah, it, it was it was, it was part worked. of the uh, contract. It, it was part worked. of the contract. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, on to the uh, Mighty Marvel checklist. Strike Force Moratorium number 17 gets no blurb. So uh, <laughs> why, just, the, why the hell would it at this point? <laughs> right. Um, but, you here. know, in fairness, none of them do, because we had to learn that, uh, you know, uh, Blaustein is, is, you know, now staring at, you know, Fifth Avenue instead of whatever avenue uh, out his window. But uh, so, yeah, none of the ongoing monthly comics get a blurb. Uh, only a few things do, uh, including The Pit. Uh, now, The Pit <laughs> is a prestige format little book here that states that the future of the new universe is changed forever. Okay. Okay. It's pop quiz time, Christopher. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you prob- did you read much new universe at all? Very little. Okay. Have you read The Pit? I have The Pit, but no, okay. I've not read The Pit. <laughs> okay. Do you know what The Pit is about? Uh, it, is it so? Is it. I it's know a, they destroy Pittsburgh. St- Yes, right. So it's a it's a Starbrand related book. Okay. It spins off of Starbrand, and it's all about you know basically Starbrand going Nova and destroying his hometown of Pittsburgh. Now, mm-hmm. what is also interesting about Pittsburgh? Hmm. I think a certain guy was from there. Yes. Now, which guy who <laughs> shall shall may or may not remain nameless, and who may have been the editor in chief at the time of Marvel, who lives in Pittsburgh? Who would that be, Christopher? I, I'm thinking of someone who is very, very valiant, sometimes very defiant, um, <laughs> has, has a has super, super good skin. Um, who is it? Who is it? It's our good friend, Mr. Jimmy Shooter. And if you there haven't picked up on these letters pages and these subtle jabs, well, what would be the only reason for pushing the only issue in the thing here, the pit? Well, mm-hmm. it's very clear that... This whole thing was about getting rid of Shooter's whole, his whole regime that helped him out build Marvel. They're all fired, gone, demoted. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that they put up is when they blow up Jim Shooter's hometown. This is just a paintbrush and Andre the Giant style on uh, on good yep. old Jim Shooter. It's a shame. Sure. Really. Very, sure, very yeah. petty. Very petty. Yeah, very petty, very small. And uh, even the solicit they give here, it doesn't make much sense. I mean, isn't the future fluid? How does the future change? You know, no, <laughs> exactly. Not, that's just me being pedantic. I apologize. Yep. But uh, yes, that is the bar, the the bull, the bar pen bulletin. No, the bullpen bulletin. <laughs> whatever the hell pages is with Bob Harris's stupid half beard caricature. Um, but we also have ads. We have uh, one that all I remember from it is the uh, theme song. Three, Three two, two, one. Contact. Yep. That's all I know about it. Um. It was a PBS show. Uh, the ad has a half dozen children of various sizes carrying a giant snake. And uh, one of them looks like uh, Justine Bateman. Is that Justine she Bateman? She does. She looks just like Justine Bateman, man. It's not. It's not I don't think so. Hmm. But uh, I've seen Three to One Contact, and it's, you know, it's an educational show. So, you know, they're talking about different things with uh, science and nature mm-hmm. and different things. So everything you see here, and they'll do, like, interesting things on, like, how to work a computer. And, you know, yeah. it was it was a fun show. It was, it was very engaging for me as a kid, so I liked it. I remember liking it, too. I just couldn't tell you a single bit about it. Um, is it one of those that would have, like... Like they would have like the of course they would have the bits where like they teach you a little bit about technology, maybe a little yes. bit about science. Yeah. But then would they do like a dramatic thing like like an Encyclopedia Brown or like a Bloodhound Gang or something like that? I, I don't that... recall. I always know that it was sort of like 
done in little skits would be like, hey, Bobby, what okay. you doing? Oh, hi, Megan. I'm using my computer. A computer? What's that? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then they would go into how to work a computer and they would go through all the different things. Right. So it was all like little skit based things. But okay. it, was, it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, and and it is a uh, children's television workshop thing, so it is yeah. uh, you know in the in the Sesame Street family for uh, for the bigger kids, I guess. And uh, absolutely, and it had a cool theme song. So it did. It did. Three, that two, is... one. <laughs> Contact. Yeah, it was cool. And this isn't the one that had the Spider-Man thing on it, right? That was something in the '70s. That was the electric. Oh, that was company. the that was the electric company. Yeah. Okay. Is that is that any is that similar to this? Uh, similar, except this one. Well, the electric company was sort of like uh, a part of its time, so it didn't have. Sure. Like, but it was all educational based. So yeah, basically gotcha. the same thing. Edge the electric company used like a almost like a Sesame Street style theme. So you know, someone would appear in just okay. this blank set with a puppet and start talking. Okay, hey, Oscar, you know, what do you think about trash collecting and recycling? No, but not recycling back then, but you know what I mean. That was <laughs> yes. the whole gist of it, you know what I mean? So What do you what do you think about the fuel shortage? What? <laughs> <laughs> How about that toilet paper? No, okay. <laughs> A disco. Um <laughs> Now, uh, our another, another ad we have here, and this is like from one of those mishmash pages of just like put your ad here sort of thing. Yeah. We have Comics on Video where you can get interviews with Stan Lee, Perez, Truman, Aragonis, uh, and more. A half hour of your favorite writers and artists on beta or VHS. So as wrestling fans, you know that they have Mm -hmm. this thing called shoot videos. Now what shoot videos are, are people when they step outside of the company that they work for. Traditionally, they'll go on a little rant or a tirade, and they'll film themselves being asked questions. So basically it's a question and answer session, put the film. And I think that's exactly what this is. And now I didn't have any of these things, but just, you know, industry, it was basically a comics industry shoot video type of thing. I think pretty well what this was. But I'll tell you what. I don't know how how big these things were, but for someone to have Stan Lee, Perez, Truman, Aragones all interviewed, they, I mean, they were top play talent at the time, especially sure. Stan Lee. So mm-hmm. to have such a small ad, <laughs> yeah. it, wor- it worries me. Did these guys even know they were being interviewed, or are they tied <laughs> up in a basement getting the you know the uh, the one light bulb over their head type of deal happening here, or what? I don't know. <laughs> they got like a they have a, just a little like handy little tape recorder that and they're like they have him cornered in the bathroom stall or something it's like stan what do you think of steve ditko i'm trying to go to the bathroom he's a good guy <laughs> he's a good guy i love stan i created <laughs> spider-man what who what who? <laughs> i did the costume it's all me um <laughs> that guy smells like onions um <laughs> Well, yes, this is Comic Vision, and uh, I looked to see if any of these were up on YouTube. I couldn't find them, but uh, hopefully one of these days we'll find something. Maybe I didn't check. They're they're yeah. they're somewhere in someone's VHS collection, and they like gotta I'm, be. They're one of these ones with like BASF written on the spine. Yes, it's done, it's done in SLP mode. In SLP, eight <laughs> hours worth of it. <laughs> it's all on one tape. Every yeah, it's got it's, it's got the one it's got the one interview for ten minutes at the front, and then it's like a collection of these uh, really <laughs> bizarre, like it's yeah. who's the boss episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's oh, who's okay. the boss and bad Ronald. Uh, that's what's on the end of the tape, but uh. No, it's like uh, I forgot to check archive.org. Have you have you have you done any kind of dives on archive.org? I have. You know what? Recently, I've done a couple. After Ooh, you brought it up to me, I was just yeah. doing some stuff. It's fun. There is so much interesting stuff on there. I saw a uh, somebody who either worked for Kmart or just had access to someone who did got all of their music. Really. So, 
Oh, that's dude. hilarious. And it's like, and it's just, you know, real bad knockoffs of contemporary music at the yes. time. <laughs> but it's interrupted with uh, messages. It's like, attention, Kmart shoppers. It is the weirdest, most boring, but interesting thing to listen to. Uh, if you just have it's, it on in, like, in the background. It's like the it's like the generic cover band who covers like a popular song, removes yeah. all the filth and slander, and then and just no random, yeah. then random, randomly inserts like a uh, like an, a PA announcement in there. Yes, yes, it's like a, it's like it's like a powdered donuts now now fresh at the bake. It's it's so interesting to listen <laughs> to that crap. And uh, there was a woman who I think just passed away, but um, what she did from like the moment she got a. Uh, a VCR back in the late seventies, she always had a tape in the deck. So she taped like everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. So like she taped stuff every single day and that's, and they're, they're in the process of digitizing that and putting it up on archive.org. I don't remember the name of the collection, but, uh, I'm sure if you Google some keywords, you know, like, uh, woman's VHS collection, television, whatever, it'll probably pop up, but, Oh, wow. I'll put that is, in the show links if you can. That's, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll dig that up and throw it in the links because it's it's very interesting stuff. It's it's you know it, it's funny because like we'll talk about like how every comic book is collected in trade now, which makes trades less special. But with media like television, so little of it was collected back in the day. So actually getting the opportunity to see this and and you know some of it's like old news reports, some of it's just a flock of old commercials. Um, the most interesting stuff is, uh, the pilots that were only shown once. Oh, like, I love that I, stuff. Yes, dude, dude. Oh, they are. It's so interesting to see some of the stuff that was just never, ever repeated again. Um, I saw like a, like a 1983 pilot starring Paul Reiser, uh, last week. And it's just like the weirdest thing in the world. What's, what's cool? See. What's cool about a lot of these TV pilots? Sometimes they went on to be different shows and popular sure. shows. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. the TV pilots, whether they were rejected or approved, uh, are just amazing because they're so different and characters are doing yeah. different things. And you know, some characters who are not lead characters in the show are lead characters in the pilot and different things. Oh, it's yeah. just so fascinating to look at. Yeah, like the I think the most famous one is uh is the the Full House pilot, where it's oh, not I seen it's it. not Bob, oh, it's not Bob Saget. Uh, playing Danny, what? it's a different. It's a different fella who plays Danny, and the whole first episode was shot with this other dude playing Danny Tanner. You could find it online very easily. Weird, but it, it is so bizarre to watch. Uh, you know, seeing everybody else is the same. You know, like uh, John Stamos is there, uh, Dave Coulier is there, but it's just this other dude uh, playing <laughs> Danny, and they do that- the. In- entire first episode it's nuts that would be awesome you know what to digitally put somebody else in that role and just repeat the entire series that would be excellent <laughs> i'd watch it and yeah and another one that uh that uh, that we found uh probably a year and a half ago was the saved by the bell or the good morning miss bliss pilot oh yeah god yes i've seen that a hundred times with uh with jaleel white yep. and uh brian austin green and so weird so weird but uh good yeah stuff. Yeah, that's uh, you know, that's our archive.org tangent. <laughs> definitely <laughs> something to look into if you have. Oh, a lot of us have free time at the moment, so you could you could definitely lose a couple of afternoons in there. Um, then the next one we have is uh, secrets of mind reading revealed. <laughs> Call me now. 
I love the whole psychic thing, man. That's so oh, yeah. hilarious. Mind reading and all that stuff. I mean, how to me, it's so easy to see how this stuff works. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know if you know, like, how are you in what, when you're dealing with people in the public? Like, I deal with hundreds of people every single day. Half of the people that I've met throughout the years, especially in my job, I don't know their last names or their family sure. or what they do. But when some of these people approach you, they remember you. They remember you. Hey, Chris, how's it going? How's everything going? Blah, 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 blah. And you have no idea who you're looking at. You know what I mean? No <laughs> clue who's in front you of you at this point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you're like, hey, no, everything's going great. How's everything with you? And, you know, you sort of take some information out. Are you still working at, and you'll just cut it off, and they'll go, hey, yeah, I still work at the Walmart. Yeah, yeah right. Oh, how's Walmart going? Blah, 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 blah. And how's your, oh, my dad's doing great, man, since yep. the surgery. You're like, oh, yeah, so you're flying, right? And that's basically that's basically how these psychics work, too. So they sure. feed up, you know, either it's interviews or information that a customer would give them when they sign up, or when they're having conversations, I'm feeling, you know, I'm feeling a lady and she's got long blonde hair and she's saying something about, uh, you know, cookies. Oh, my God, it's my Aunt Susan and she used to make chocolate chip cookies. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? You're just like, oh, shut up. <laughs> he just pulled that out of you. He doesn't have a clue who your Aunt Susan is. He's not reading your mind. It's oh, a bunch of crap. It's funny, though. I, I like it as entertainment. I like it oh, when you sure. get. Sure. When when you get when you get people who can allegedly read minds and all that stuff, you know it's uh, you know it's a whole different ball of wax. But I mean, some people make a living out of it, and God bless them because they're great at it. Mm-hmm. Yes, because uh, what what is it that Dion Warwick always says about friends? Oh, the psychic freak, psychic friends network. <laughs> That's what was what it? Friends are for. There it is. What was uh, Madame Cleo was like yeah. actually sued. <laughs> Like uh, she had to pay like millions of dollars for, for well, people. People were scam. people were believing this stuff, man. Like they, they took do. that to the bank. No, people are people. You got to figure when people go that aren't going for entertainment value, they're going because they are desperate for answers. Yes, and uh, they are very easy people to exploit. Um, I I remember probably oh boy, probably like turn of the century. Um, you know, you and I are wrestling fans. I remember Bret Hart went to uh, a guy to talk to his brother Owen. Oh no! Yeah, and it was reported in the uh, in the Observer, the Wrestling Observer, and uh, I remember just thinking like that is the saddest thing, you know, oh, that they're taking no. advantage of this poor guy, and he's a celebrity, so they're you know they're they're profiting off of his name and his appearance, and and all they're doing is feeding him you know crap. Oh, and, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah your, your, your brother Owen saying he loves you. Oh, that's uh, that's great. I really, you, uh, really care about my brother Owen yeah. there. And uh, at the, <laughs> at the just, summer, at the SummerSlam, at the at the SummerSlam when we had our match there, I uh, really liked the uh, the Owen and Brett matches there, right? And oh, just oh, just terrible. But it's poor uh, Bret Hart. I mean, come yeah. on, don't screw Bret Hart. He lost his brother. What? What? This is ridiculous. Canadian mm. hero, Canadian icon, Bret Hart. Everybody. It's true. It's true. Man, what else we got? We have one final piece here, and it's one that and always kind timely, of mystifies. Timely, yes. <laughs> high school. American high school has helped adults finish high school at home. Spare time for over 80 years. Diploma awarded. Info free. No salesman. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's leery when they say no salesman. Uh, info free, and then on the bottom it says no finance charges. That means this thing costs you a lot of cash, people. A lot of money up front. No payments. But, but what's cool is that high school from home and how, 
you know, how relevant is that when a lot of kids are potentially going to be homeschooled over the next year? It's uh, an interesting thought. So this this theory that they were <laughs> robbing people out of money may actually <laughs> become a may actually become a reality. And the, the the joy of these whole ads is I wonder what would happen. And I might do this just for fun one time or even call <laughs> one of these numbers. But some of these 800 numbers and zip codes and all that stuff, I wonder if these things actually still exist. I wonder. I'm going to do my homework. I'm actually going to track some of these down and make a phone call and see what happens. Oh, um, man, that's something I we, we got to record that for sure. I am going to do it and see what happens. But, you know, so. we, we know that this is probably legit because it's called American School. Yeah, I mean, that, it doesn't get much much more legit than that. Uh, well, I, ca- I can't call it because it's in the U.S. Oh, man. Let me see. Uh, let me dial it up here. Oh, okay, I'm, cool. Just, I'm just going to do it right here live on oh. the air. I am just going to hit this bad boy up. Okay, 1-800. We're going to get our two, diplomas two, today. Eight. <laughs> here we go, everybody. You're welcome. Okay, <laughs> we'll put this bad boy on speakerphone. One moment. Okay, here we go. You ready? Can you hear it? Yeah, I, I do. I wonder if we're going to get singles in our area. <laughs> Let's see. It's ringing. It is. Uh-oh. Doesn't look like they're going to answer, Chris. Maybe I'm not going to get I'm, I'm not going to get my high school diploma. <sighs> Come on, answering machine. American school from Chi-Town. <laughs> Uh, they're going to let us down. We are going they to are. be destitute. I will not get my education. <laughs> no answer at the high school, Chris. <sighs> we'll, have to, we'll have to find other other places to call throughout the... Uh, throughout the- <laughs> Sadness. <laughs> Sadness. Epic fail. Epic fail. <laughs> Man, now what are we going to do with our lives? I don't know. Okay, well, it was it was a valiant effort. Uh, we do we do highly value education here. Um, <laughs> I say that uh, going into one of my uh, one of my grad school finals next uh, final exams next week. So well, good luck, there sir. We go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's a uh, it's funny. Uh, just just the eight hundred number sort of a gimmick or the nine hundred number gimmick especially. I was watching a video uh, from the Oddity Archive. If anybody's ever heard of that show, it's a it's it's a fella, a real funny show where he just talks about old technology and some obscure and uh, basically obsolete technology and cultural bits and pieces. So one of his episodes was about 900 numbers, and he was talking about like the Santa hotline, you know, the Santa oh, yeah. 900 number, and and the number came up on the screen, and and you know for for ease of uh, of memory, just say it was like one nine hundred one 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 one, you know, all ones. And then he shows one like a couple minutes later, and it's a a porno hotline one eight hundred one 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 one. It was the same no. phone number in the non Christmas time of year. Was a oh. porn line. No, so just imagine if they got the streams crossed. They'd be like, "Hey, you got Santa Claus here. He's got giant balls in his sack. He's got giant balls in in his Santa sack there. Yeah, you're gonna love him. It's like if you're if you're a kid and you remember calling Santa in December, and it's like, oh, I wonder what Santa's up to in in April or May. (laughs) And you call, yep, and it's him and Mrs. Santa in the throes of passion. (laughs) Oh, Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But uh, that. Our friends is uh, Strike Force Moratorium number 17, cover to cover. Just about every little bit and piece that we can include here. But uh, 
I think that's all the time that we'll take up from you this week. Uh, you want to throw it to some plug-in? Well, certainly, kind sir. You can find me over at Charlton underscore hero on the Twitter. And I got lots of stuff going on on the Twitter these days. I'm just doing some profiles on different uh, different toy lines that I've forgotten about in the 80s. Just some different junk. So if you're interested in the retro stuff, by all means, jump on my Twitter and you could find some stuff that you might recall from your childhood. And I've also, this week, I'm actually on holiday, so I'm going to be doing some bin diving in my basement. Ooh. So keep an eye out for some uh, retro toys to be put on display in, in various forms and fashions and uh, and conditions. Because I think I, I found a pad, a Padme figure this morning that was a little bit uh, distressed, shall we say? But mm-hmm. with the with the benefits of uh, of crazy glue, she's back in action. So there's right, lots to it. see coming this week on Charlton Heroes Holidays, <laughs> the Perfect. holiday special with Charlton Hero. There you go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now you could find me over Chris's on Infinite Earth, still every day doing a different DC comic book. Um, this week, uh, this weekend actually, uh, four or five days from when you hear this show, uh, the next episode of From Claremont to Claremont will hit, and it's looking to be another biggie. So that'll be here for you. Um, you can also check out the website for that show. That's Nineties X Men. Uh, also check out ChrisandReggie.com so you can find out everything. That, uh, that we've ever talked about on this channel. All the archives in the order you'd want to listen to them and uh, everything, uh, you know, you, everybody's got a lot of free time, uh, assumedly. Uh, and uh, well, how better to fill that time than listening to us talk about things that don't matter? Um, <laughs> but I think that is all we got for you. We want to thank you so, so much for hanging out with us today. And uh, we will talk to you all again real soon. See ya!